Okay, good morning, everybody. Today, we're continuing Corinthians chapter 14. The title of the chapter, at least the first sub subheading, Prophecy, a Superior Gift. And then later on, it talks about order in church meetings. Um, so, uh, before we kind of get into it and keep talking, um, a couple announcements. Starting in August, we will be starting the book of Acts. Same notebook Bible. Same thing, scripture notebook here, but we're just going to be doing the book of Acts. Um, so there's a lot of really cool stories that we're going to discuss through that. Early church, how it got planted, and how the message spread. Um, we also have a corporate gathering the first Saturday in August at Rocky Ridge Park. That's where we're going to be. So that's going to be fun. So um, <clears throat> without further ado... <coughs> Did anybody ahead of time get a chance to read the whole chapter? Ahead of time, before we kind of get focused in, yeah? So, real quick, let's just zip around the circle here, and what are some interesting things that popped out to you about the whole chapter before we kind of get and going down through one at a time? Someone like to go first? Well, my thing was, I remember a few months ago when we were discussing certain verses and you know trying to come up with what verses stick out and what we're going to discuss, this um, th this chapter definitely threw me for a loop, without a doubt, uh, with the tongues issue. Um, in all fairness, I've always, in all, uh, in my opinion, I've always looked at tongues as, I don't know, just kind of, kind of, kind of different, mm -hmm. and and I do believe that there is a purpose somewhere. Um, but uh, it just seems like, I don't know, just, I've read it a couple times and I actually listened to, a, I think, a really good description of this chapter, and it just, um, there's a lot of just, uh, just, a lot of mixed feelings on this, on, on the issue of tongues. I, I do. But I think hopefully by the time we're done with this discussion today, maybe, maybe we'll bring some clarification to some things. Anybody else have some interesting things that popped out about the whole chapter before we get into it. Anybody? I think uh, the very last bit of this chapter was really interesting for me because some people... Bible said it. I believe it. That settles it. So I'm sorry, Lola and Sarah, but today and moving forward, you will not be allowed to speak in church. <laughs> Sarcasm, tongue in cheek, right? Well, you know, that's something really to discuss. You know, maybe they, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's quite interesting how you know they're quite very uh, sexist. <laughs> I'll call it that. Hey, can, I forgot my copy. Yeah. Can I grab one? Yeah. There you go. Are you not going to use it? Well, I, I got I got this version. So I mean, I've read this a couple times. Okay. So. No worries. I have I have others too. If you want. Yeah, we always purchase extra of these just in case we have. To and do Sarah Lola, remember I didn't say that. Okay. There's I'm some. Good grace. Yeah, I, yeah, and I. It's fourteen, right? Yes. I shall eat today. Yes. With people. 
That's right. Um, well, let's just get started here at the top, and, and we'll just kind of briefly go through the prophecy, uh, a superior gift, and the tongue aspect of it, but I really want to focus more heavily on verse 26 down through um, order in church meetings. I think that's really awesome, but let's just maybe read the first four verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy, for the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, we've mentioned a couple times in these conversations about, like, what is prophecy? What does prophesying mean? Right? And it's not just a person with a gift to... to uh, reveal future events, but really prophecy means calling people back to the knowledge of God. We've talked about that a lot, right? Uh, revealing God's character, teaching people about the true nature of who God is. So for me, that those first four verses, just kicking it right off, Paul is kind of making this, making this, the situation where, and there's a verse in this in this chapter that I haven't been able to find yet, where it talks about that God is not a God of confusion. Out of order, and so, what do you guys think of those first four verses where he talks about that? Speaking in a tongue, a person builds up themselves, but a person who prophesies builds up the church, strengthens, encourages, builds up the church. My mom grew up Pentecostal. I mean, she went to Pentecostal churches when she was a child. And you yeah. talk about talking in tongues and jumping up and down like a monkey and blabbing and someone say, he saith. Mm-hmm. And you got that interpreter going on. And what, you know, and a lot of people's interpretations of tongues are, it, it's loose. It could be from that to, let's say, you and I met in Lithuania. You don't speak English, but I'm able to share the gospel to you in Lithuanian, in your own tongue. So, that's what the early disciples did. They didn't do the call attention to themselves. All of a sudden, in a sudden thing, stand up and prophesy in some foreign tongue that no one knew. When they spoke, everyone heard, heard what they heard in their own tongue. One comes from the Spirit. One comes from trickery. What do you think, Lola? You see in contemplation over there? No, I'm just catching up. Okay, that's fine. No problem. Um, have any of you guys been in a church service or a setting where, uh, and I've been in a situation where someone's there and they're, they're speaking in their own language, but there's no one there to translate what they're saying? Has anyone been in a situation like that? When you say that, do you mean... Um, You went to a, a church and one person's speaking Spanish and everybody else is English speaking, or mm-hmm. a tongue situation where mm-hmm. I understand exactly what you're talking about. So what I'm referring to is a person that's speaking a language, Spanish, whatever, French, in an environment in which mm-hmm. not everybody speaks that language. Yep. 
Yeah, when I was overseas when we were missionaries in Africa, we had that example a couple times where it was an English-speaking church, and one person was there didn't speak English, but there was also no one there to interpret for them. And so they stood up to, you know, whatever they wanted to do to praise, whatever it was. They shared what they shared. But all of us in the group were just sitting there going like, no okay. what they said. No idea what they said. Now, and so that's contextually, that's what Paul's talking about here because he's saying, so if you don't speak the language, and he has some verses in here that actually bring it about, if you don't speak the language and you, and you, and you speak, he actually says it. If no one's there to interpret then just speak to yourself yep. and to God. Yep. Because In other words, if, don't speak. Exactly. Don't speak if no one's ever interpreted. Because what good is it? Yeah. It's not. You're not speaking at that point. You're no longer speaking to build up the church at all. You're not doing anything but adding confusion to the church. And drawing attention to yourself. Exactly. <coughs> so I, I take that one step further, Joe, and apply it to people who believe the angelic utterance or... Know, babble, whatever it is, things like that. Um, again, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace or a God of order. And so if there's a person that's, you know, in, unintelligently rambling, kind of like Mark, like you referenced, in some of, our, some of these other religions and belief systems, is that causing more clarity and making it easier for people to understand the truth about God, or is that adding complexity and confusion? Well, to be honest with you, uh, when I when I was at a church where they had done that, mm-hmm. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mince words. I was just like, okay, what is this? Yeah, yep. It, it was more of a lack of a better term. It freaked me out. Yeah, like, oh, this kind of really and now. I, to go back to what Mark said about the tongue thing, yeah, if there's a different languages from different people from different languages who are able to sort of translate one by one by one or whatever, I can understand that. But having somebody just just that that's where I, that's where I struggle. I struggle with that completely. So verse twenty three, let's check it out. Verse twenty three, and I'm gonna um, fourteen verse twenty three. And this is exactly, Joe, what you're describing. Um, go ahead, Joe, read that for us. I have it in the Passion Version here. That's fine. Go um, ahead, yeah. If the entire church comes together and everyone is speaking in tongues, won't the visitors say that you have lost your minds? Right? Isn't that your experience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. A little bit. But keep going. Read verse 24. And then in the word prophesying there, you know, let's change that to, but if all are revealing the truth about God. Let's, let's, let's put that in. But if everyone is revealing the truth about God and an unbeliever or one without the gift enters your meeting, he will be convicted by all that he hears and will be called to account. Isn't that interesting? In verse 25, the secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God proclaiming God is really among you. Because it's that. It's that when we come into a knowledge of the truth about God, that's when we are, that that awareness, you know, really sheds light on our terminal sin condition. What do y'all think of that? Angel, did you have something to add? I saw you kind of like maybe trying to get my attention. No? Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> um, well, 
just one one more point before we get to what sure. you said. Something that, sure. again, I I listened to a really, to me, I thought was a pretty based on based on this talking about the bugle and the and the instruments and stuff. You know, the, um, you know, you, you when you go into battle. What verse are you talking about? Um, it kind of goes back to verse seven, eight, okay. somewhere in there. Oh, right, yeah. They're talking about the ba- uh, instruments and the bugle. Um, you know, when the bugle plays a certain reveille or a certain type of song, reveille, that means wake up. They'll play another tune, which means go into battle. Yeah. Then they'll play another tune, which means come retreat. And But if you get up there and you play the bugle like I would, everybody would just look really confused and go on, do what? What's the message? I got nothing out of that. It, and, you know, it could cause a lot more problems and confusion, much more, you know, than, than, than you know, so that person who, who chooses to speak in tongues, they could be causing a lot more damage than help at that situation, yeah. at that time. If it's not led by the Spirit of God, then it's, it's, it's causing more damage than help. So... You know, let's let's look a little bit big picture from First Corinthians chapter one up to verse four, up to chapter fourteen. Paul has been basically doing what to the Corinthian church all throughout each chapter. He's been addressing issues that create problems, right? Pagan worship, food offered to idols, you know, problems with marriage and relationships, allowing people to come and speak but aren't converted. You know mixing of Christian and pagan practices like he's he's addressing all these issues that are uh, I'm going to use the word like you know corrupting confusing uh, making it very difficult to for people to to accept and understand the truth about God to be able to spread the gospel message right and and now he's just shifting that same exact focus into speaking in tongues because it really does sound like you know, the Corinthian church people would be getting together and was just talking their own language. And it's just like, what? It's like a madass. To me, that's what I'm kind of getting from what Paul's talking about. He's saying, when you come together, like, it's, it's like a, a, a bunch of instruments and they're not all playing the same song. They're all playing different songs. Right? And and so I, I see him kind of doing all of that. And then, so, let's kind of take that concept and let's start at verse 26 and let's just basically go verse by verse and see how Paul really wraps it up with with all of these things and more importantly I really want to focus on applying what Paul says to our church collective church both here at the Dover location the one downtown east and all the future ones that will be multiplying in our future but really focus on how how Paul lays out and describes how the church should should work so that all can prophesy and the truth about God can be spread. So let's start verse 26. Can Mark, do you want to read like 26 through 28, the first two? Okay. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or the most by three, and that of by course, and let one interpret. 
But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Thank you. I really so go ahead, Mark. Since you read that, you know what stood out to you in three verses and then two verses. Anything? Well, what we were talking about earlier is that you know, let's say you're Jonah and you're going into Nineveh. Mm-hmm. You don't speak Nineveh tongue, but you got a warning for him. And you're standing out there in a square and you're talking in whatever tongue you've got, but someone in that crowd knows your tongue. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to sit there and say, well, he says this, he says that, then great. You have an interpreter and everyone now can hear your message. Now, when I go to another you know, country, same thing, you have an interpreter. Sometimes they mess things up. I've mm-hmm. seen interpreters fired. And so it's it's interesting in my line of work with the medical stuff. But, you know, it stands out here that if there's no one that that understands you, then please be quiet. Because, you know, and that's what it's telling me. So, 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 so there's a question then. So what if somebody who speaks German has a message and he knocks on the door here, what do we do? And he doesn't speak English, and you don't understand German. Yeah. What do you think? Think it through. What do you think? Well, yeah. How can you understand his message? You got top technology. I mean, you can bring up a program. Well, we, you can get to basic things. But I'm going back to your thing of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. So when Jonah got to Nineveh, what if there was somebody there who didn't speak the language of Jonah? Well, in that well, situation, in the historical record, he did. Yeah. But he knew the language. He knew how to speak to them in their own language. I was just bringing that up as a just a weird happenstance. So, uh, so that's my so that's a question. Then okay, I'm probably taking this a lot deeper than I should. But but so if somebody knocks on the door, only speaks German. We're like, I've got something really important to say. I can't figure it out though. I can tell. All right, you and I are friends, and so if I had something really important to say to you, Joe, I would speak English, the language that we both speak. I wouldn't but babble. You know what I mean? I wouldn't talk to you in Spanish trying to impart a special hidden meaning of something. That's, you know what I mean? It, I'll talk to you in the language that you're going to hear and understand. Okay. Now, if that person that comes in only speaks German but speaks perfect English, knowing that we don't understand German, but only relays the message in German, then he's being selfish. He's being a jack wagon. So tie that, so tie your question back to, because context of what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about someone coming to your house. He's talking about a church setting, just like we're sitting here. So tie your question back to what, how does that apply to what Paul's talking about? When you assemble as a church, right? And I think there's your answer. We've, we've discussed in 14. Let the person sit quietly. If no one's there to interpret, let them sit quietly. So, in my view, this is my my opinion only, if someone was here in our church and, and spoke German only, and they kept trying to speak, and no one could understand a word they were saying, it, in my view, it is not unreasonable for us to say, how could you communicate to them anyway? Shh. No one understands a word you're saying. Right? We have biblical instruction to say what should we do. 
let the person speak quietly to themselves and to God. Okay. My personal view. Do you guys agree or disagree? And that's okay. No, there says it basically is it, it shouldn't be allowed, mm-hmm. and it's you know and it. Yeah, I want to read verse twenty six out of the remedy real quick, and um, I think it's really neat in how it's kind of paraphrased here. Brothers and sisters, what then is a reasonable and healthy course of action? Right. This kind of goes to your question, Joe. When you fellowship together, everyone has a everyone has a song that touches their heart. Or an idea which has helped in their growth, or an insight, or an instruction, or they speak a language that they understand best, or have an interpretation that makes most sense to them. But all of this sharing must be done for the building up and strengthening of the entire group. I really like how they kind of worded that out. So to me, the focus was it needs to be done in a way that uplifts everyone, helps increase everyone's understanding. No? Um, can I have a volunteer, Sarah? Do you mind reading verse 29 through 32? The next two or three verses there? Verse 33. 29 to 33. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everybody, everyone can learn, and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet. Yeah, verse 33. Since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Yeah, that's the verse I was trying to point out earlier. God is not a God of war, but God of peace. What do you think of that? What stands out to you in their verses? Again, we're substituting the word prophet for someone who calls people back to knowledge of God, someone who reveals the truth about God. And we all can do that, can't we? As we grow in our understanding of God and understand his character, we all can be prophets in revealing that truth to others. Absolutely. He describes this he describes this process of in essence what we're trying to emulate here in our churches, isn't it? One person speaks, but if something hey, you know, a raise of a hand, pause, yeah, what what came to you? Well here's you know what I thought this came to me and then right? He he describes this this round tables kind of group, you know, sharing of this, sharing of that, talking about sharing the songs that Share rights. Yeah. So, so, 
this is where we really need to focus and take things in context of what was going on. So what, who were the, we learned about this early on when we started the book of Corinthians, the churches in Corinth, who were the priests and who were the prostitutes? They were one and the same. The religions of Corinth, you would go to the temple and sleep with prostitutes who are also the priests and that's how you worship the Corinthian pagan system and they were incorporating that those practices in with the early Christian churches okay so Paul is making a point here and he's saying the woman should be silent churches for they're not fit to speak but it's with themselves as the law also says if they want to he's basically saying don't act like the pagan religions basically what he's doing he's not He's not saying that women should not speak in church. He's not saying prostitutes. He's saying women. Mm -hmm. So this not is this translation. So what do you think makes sense, though? I understand, but if you take it in a literal sense... Mm -hmm. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settled it. Or is there a deeper principle going on here? That's my point. So right. we're taking it in a literal sense from the, the you know, verses before that, but then we change our interpretation Okay, so, so, and then so then what um now what this this has a little sub sub note where it says the women and then you get down to the sub note four wives. You know, it's very it's not, it's not mentioning prostitutes. Right, it says yes, it says uh, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Mm hmm Since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in a church. So how do we reason that out? How do we make it make sense of a God of love, law of liberty, freedom, law of love, a God that doesn't add confusion to peace? How I do we mean, make sense of that? It wasn't that long ago in the Adventist church right. that we had discussions about um, ordination of women. Which is a very similar, right? Like how active Cameron be in the church. And that's still a discussion even today for a lot of people. It's true. I mean, well, and to your point too is <clears throat> not only in church, but in the home. If you think to the home, there are men that do not do their part, and the woman is that head of that of that household as far as bringing God in. Uh -huh. So... Right, she's supposed to go and ask her husband? Right, she's supposed to ask her husband who is ignorant or, or chooses not. Mm. 
you know? Yeah. She, that is her position then when he doesn't take that up. And that's expected from God. <clears throat> so. Wonderful. What do you do then? That's, I love, thank you for that insight. Mark? You know, I've always looked at it as, as, you know, every culture has its how men and women relate to one another. And I don't agree with a lot of the older cultures, especially in Asia. You know, those the women walk ten feet behind, that kind of nonsense. It's it's it you even look in the in the Muslim, you know, countries today where the women are basically I mean, the animals are treated better. And so it's you have a certain, you know, from culture to culture, a different placement of treatment. And I, I, I don't know, you know, when I hear things like this, you know, in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament talking about the placement of women, you really have to look at the historical content and really what's going on in that area at that time. And I'm glad you brought up the, um, the prostitutes and the, the priestesses and such that, you know, the time, but it's, it's just, that's how I would always chalk it up is just, Mm-hmm. I think that the relevance in there is that you know, we were out on the bike last week, and there are even subsets of our culture here that the you know women are property, mm-hmm. right? They're not individuals; they're property of other of men specifically, mm-hmm. even currently, like around us mm-hmm. in this country. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, like, a, it's not even, it's not, you can't look at me like, oh, 2,000 years ago, that's what it, you know, that was their culture. It happens even right now. Yeah, we saw a big motorcycle so, club in Gettysburg. Everyone wearing patches and stuff like that. Then, yeah, all the men had lots of patches and things on their vests, and the women had one patch on the back that said property of, and then the name of the man. All of them. It's such a distortion of how God designed the man and woman. We're getting a little bit off, we won't get too far off topic, but, you know, God God created Adam and then he created Eve. You know, he didn't take Eve from Adam's foot or Adam's head or create her of something else. He created Eve out of the side, symbolically of, as equal. Like Adam and Eve were not created to be a head in a hierarchy this way. They were created to be this way, originally. And Satan has just corrupted that whole thing to because in God's kingdom the servant it's upside down there's no power over authority in God's kingdom it, God created Adam and Eve to be equals who come together and give and give up themselves to create life to the benefit of something else and Satan has just corrupted it you know intensely so if that's the case mm-hmm. Then shouldn't he have said because through you know this whole book he's all about like well you know this is culturally you know this is what people are doing but I say mm-hmm. you know if you do not be married don't be right or whatever right like he's going against cultural norms throughout really right so shouldn't he have not the situation said the same thing right like in the culture women are not you know, equals, right? But they should be treated as such because of the way they're created, right? If that's the, if that's the 
is clearly saying, whether it's because of culture or whatever else, the woman should be silent church side. I mean, that's a pretty clear sentence. Mm-hmm. I can't really get much more clear. It's good to wrestle with some of these things, for sure. Yeah. To, like, for each of us individually and collectively as a church to wrestle with some of these things to come with this understanding. Like, so how do we make it fit? How, do, how does it make sense with the God of love? And yeah, my we, issue is not with what this says. Right. My issue is how does it fit when they look at something, you know, versus above it as taking it literally and then we're not going to take this piece of it. So, like, how do you make it all fit together? Well, <clears throat> if you were to take the words, um, you know, silent and speak, you know, those words, and you switch them. And you said, women should conduct themselves orderly and not uh, speak in chaos. Does that change kind of the view? Because you're, what he was speaking about before was, again, the priestess and all of that, and it was not a a sweet it wasn't a it was very crazy it was mm-hmm. very absolutely that's what i'm trying to say you i know, don't know what you're trying to say there dis- orgy disordering yeah, yes chaotic, all of that but if it was it would be very different because they're conducting themselves differently yes if it was orderly and of peace meant to not something to disrupt not mm-hmm. a not a you know that situation but that would also have been how the men would have been mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. the men in those situations would have not <clears throat> trying to produce chaotic situations that's just what happened in the whole process yes let me let me look at verse 34 again but maybe this will help bring some context to what we're talking about to understand what paul's saying okay and I'm going to change the word woman, and I'm going to use the word child. Doesn't make a whole lot more sense. The children should be silent in churches. They are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves. Right? Verse 35. If they want to learn something, let them ask their parents at home. Now, why do we, why do, we do that with our children in church? Why do we set laws and rules and principles and boundaries and guidelines for our four-year-old and our seven-year-old and our three-year-old and our ten-year-old, depending on where they're at developmentally, and they're in church to, shh, can we do things? Why do we do that? Because they're less of a person or because, why? why do we do that? They're immature. Thank you. It's a mature thing. Absolutely. It's not designed, it's not designed to say, woman, you shut up. Right, so I think this is a situation where we can look at it principally. It's a mature thing. So, same goes. You're you're talking about a culture where the women were prostitutes and priests, the men orgies. They exchanged the natural for the unnatural. It just just things. It was just like Las Vegas, Nevada. And so, like you say, Lola, he's using the word woman here, but principally, a child, an immature person, right? Just like we would treat our children that way. Joe. My, I'm going to kind of go off of what Mark's saying here. Um, it's a, a cultural thing. Because mm-hmm. um, mind you, 100 years before, however many years before, 
this they were all used to synagogues in which the synagogues were um, the men and women were separate from each other in the synagogues. You're talking about the Church of Corinth. Yeah, you, you figure about... hundred years before the, the culture was still because you didn't have a church, you had synagogues, or you had pagan. Yeah, Corinth is pagan, not synagogue, not but, Hebrew, not Israel. Israel but 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 Jew. just out of curiosity, though, was it still <laughs> where the man was still considered the the woman was subservient to the men, even in the pagan society. Oh, sure. I think that's so. So, as, and so I'm just wondering if that is just kind of a a hanger on when this was coming up. Also, you know, I understand the debauchery and everything. I understand that completely. But was it still somewhat in the mindset of? I think I hear what you're saying. So Paul is basically what I think I hear you saying is that Paul is working with them within their level Paul is meeting them where they're at in their understanding and kind of encouraging them to grow a little bit but he's it's it was like God in the Old Testament with the Israelites and God's saying well if you know he's he's meeting the Israelites where they're at in their development you know an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth let's kind of go back old school a little bit here right. people let's go old school here for a little bit until we get everything working together that's that's what I'm kind of thinking might be. I can get on board with that. Of, of Paul's meeting them where they're at, and then looking at what they were culturally for the past mm-hmm. fifty, twenty, hundred, whatever, however many years. Mm-hmm. So, because I know, again, I know it's current, it's in Corinth, but when I was in Israel, it was big. This show, seeing the old synagogues, the men sat here, the women sat here. That it was always a separate thing, mm-hmm. especially the, the more religious or the more mm-hmm. more orthodox. So, so was that maybe just going back to the old, to the old, you know, going old school, just trying to so, bring a little settlement. So at least the people will be separate, and supposedly the okay, the men will learn what's supposed to be there, and then the women will learn from that, and eventually everybody, you know, I could, again, it's still got a very. There's you know, a. I can't walk away from this without sounding like an egotistical jerk, but you're good. No, no, you're not, and so. What you're describing, what Paul, what I think you're saying, what Paul's doing here is exactly what God did to the Israelites in the Old Testament, right? So they're in the Old Testament, Exodus, Deuteronomy, when he starts working with these Israelites around Mount Sinai, their level of development was like level two, level three, right? So in other words, if you stole my ox, I'm going to come kill your daughter. That's how they worked. If you stole my goat, I will come rape and kill your wife. Okay, that's how they dealt with it. And so God said... If you steal someone's ox, you can steal their ox, but you can't go kill the person. You follow me? So God's... You're going tooth for tooth here. Exactly. 100%. God told them, go tooth for tooth and an eye for an eye. If someone plucks out your eye, then don't go kill the family. You go pluck out that guy's eye. Now, fast forward in their development to Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus says... You, you say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I say, Jesus, right? I say, if someone smacks you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. You say, if a man steals your cloak while they vlog, go and steal their cloak. I say, if a man wants your cloak, give him your staff also. Okay? So what is Jesus doing? He's, he's revealing the maturity or immaturity of people 
right? God met the Old Testament Israelites where they were, and he was saying, don't kill somebody if they steal your sheep. Just go steal their sheep. So he's baby-stepping them to growth and development. To where you get to Jesus, and Jesus says, if someone steals your sheep, give them a second one. Right? So, likewise, I think Paul is saying, don't let the women dance around and have an orgy in church. Just let them be quiet. Right? Basically, baby-stepping them to the next place. I think y'all listen to literally, women, y'all be quiet. <laughs> I'm joking. I want to eat. And I just think, what does that say about God? If God was willing to meet the Old Testament Israelites right where they were, and he said, an eye for an eye. Yeah, man, don't kill them, just pluck their eye out. But then as they grow and they develop, Jesus gives them a little bit more of a challenge. He says, they pluck your eye out, that's fine, give them the other one. And then you see an apostle doing the same thing here with the churches, and then we have a huge lesson for us, don't we? We, as we grow and understand the truth about God, should meet people where they're at, their understanding and begin working with them there. It says a lot about God, doesn't it? He'll meet you right where you're at. And he'll lead you along no faster than you're willing to go. And you're able to. He'll meet you right there. What do you think about that? And, and you know, and, and really, from your first example to your second example, God didn't really change. What he's working with is the human nature. Yes. What he's saying is, this isn't what I would do, but if you have to do something, make it equal to what has been done to you. Yes. Whereas in later on, yes. you know, yes. Absolutely. he teaches them further. That's exactly right. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there. Thank you. I like it. I like it. And that... And that just says so much about God, too, because if you think about when Jesus comes or when, 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 when he comes into our hearts now or even with the second coming when he's revealed, you know, you're going to have lots of the thief on the cross. Where is he going to be at? The thief on the cross is still, steal my eye, I'm going to kill you. Right? But he trusted Jesus, and Jesus said, man, you'll be in paradise. And so he's going to resurrect like an Old Testament Israelite. Right? Struggling with a lot of stuff. But the point being, he's willing to grow, he's willing to listen, he's willing to learn. He's willing to be led in his development. That's good. Alright, let's have closing prayer. God, we just thank you so much for this conversation. How we've just been able to share and learn some really good things about you, about some of these concepts. I ask that you will walk with us this week. Give us opportunities to share them and to live them out in our own lives. I pray for the food that we're about to eat and I just ask for a blessing in a special way. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 <coughs>